Welcome to another edition of Old School Guns, the podcast that tells you exactly like it is. And this is episode number 151, number 151. As always, if you have any questions or comments, you can email them to me at kbmakel at aol.com, kbmakel at aol.com. Or you can leave them in the comments section on Podbean, which is where we create this podcast. So you can do either of those two things to contact me and ask a question or leave a comment. All right. Well, big things happening. Obviously, big things happening. Um, I'm going to start with the Biden speech, and I know everybody has analyzed it to death. And all I can say is, you know, some of it was scary and some of it was just comical, was comic opera. The scary part is, is that this deranged, crazy old man actually believes that half of the American electorate are semi-fascists, as he puts it, uh, fascists. Now, what's scary about that is, uh, that's the same kind of language that Vladimir Putin used against his, the people he didn't like in the Ukraine, you know, whether you figure they're his enemies or, or what. Um, you know, in, in that part of the world, calling someone a Nazi or a fascist is like the biggest insult you can do because of the loss of life and the just the, the scope of the conflict there. And obviously, Biden has picked up on that. He's picked up that that's a cool thing to, to use. Um, for an uncool person to say something that's stupid is, is absolutely mind-boggling, and it just shows you he's not in control. There's some radical writing his speeches. Um, you know, it, it was absolutely probably the worst speech in American presidential history. I mean, it'll go down. It'll go down as that. Um, the comic opera part of this was they actually. <laughs> It looked like, you know, it, it looked like something out of the man from the high castle. He had this kind of Nazi red uh, color cast over the White House. Um, you could just see his face. Everything was dark. I mean, it was, it was absolutely, it, it looked like just a, a, a Netflix production or something or, or Prime, Amazon Prime. It was just horrific. You, you sit there and go, could you possibly make the optics worse? What moron? And, and it has to be a grade A, what we used to call a booger-eating simpleton, had to have thought that that would be an effective image to convey to the American people. Um, it was just horrible. And, and the Marines who were standing behind there, um, of course, we don't have anybody with any real huevos anymore but they should have marched off they should have done a executed a right face and marched off saying this is a political speech sorry we can't be here um but you know it's, we've lost that and integrity in people's jobs have, have just gone away but the biden speech is just particularly horrible and it, it shows you that there's this polarization he doesn't care about half the people in the country. He does not care. The big unifier, which was a lie, and everybody knew it was a lie. Um, you know, when was the last time Biden told the truth about anything? Anything. Uh, the influence peddling schemes with his son, all that stuff. Um, 
you know this is all just part and parcel of this corrupt inept um, destructive regime which has you know seized power in our country and has and, and is doing kind of what they want and there's a few things that are holdouts against them like the Supreme Court but uh, hey if you're a Supreme Court you know you better if you're on the Supreme Court and you don't uh, rule the way Biden likes you better get used to having protesters around your house and people trying to kill you because that's what Biden encourages Biden does that it, it's amazing to me if you just it's so obvious if you want to see the double standard okay they're all over this Miralago thing which is all horseshit and everybody knows it everybody knows it uh, the only reason you do a raid is to plant evidence and you know that's that's what's going to come out of this they're going to say "Ooh, look at this document Ooh, look at that they're already leaking them they're already leaking them so you know that's what it is but they want to get to the bottom of that right away but uh, when it comes to hunter biden everything just is in slow motion gets slow rolled we know that several years ago he lied on the forms he needed to purchase a firearm clear cut nobody disputes it and yet no action is ever taken because it's well he's under investigation for that what they're just gonna do is they just wait long enough and then they say you know um, there was just wasn't enough evidence to you know conclude beyond reasonable doubt and then they'll drop it uh, they, you know if they slow roll it enough people will get tired and say yeah screw it it was a few years ago so just leave it alone then they'll drop it and Hunter Biden will toddle along his way you know he's got his little thumb in his mouth and he's toddling along you know holding out his other hand for the payola the graft and and all the other stuff he gets from being being a little baby Biden you know um, it's disgusting it's absolutely disgusting and you know we're rapidly approaching the point where this may be irretrievable um, they're already setting up the big steel for this November I mean I hope it doesn't happen but you see the signs where it's like gee the polls are all narrowed now you know I mean frankly anybody who votes for a Democrat is is insane you're insane if you do um, and, it, and it just goes back to you know January 2021 when Biden took charge and he's been bungling ever since everything he's done is bungled uh, Afghanistan now this mess in the Ukraine <clears throat> just goes on and on it just goes on and on so Biden is a disaster he, he gave this Stalinist speech in which he, he basically said vote for us because they're the enemy he said you know they're the enemy he doesn't he's not trying to convince anybody to his side he's just trying to to create an enemy well you know he might get his wish he might get his wish and it won't be pretty and you know I know people who are saying you know in their opinion they, they kind of rub their chin and they say I don't know why the Democrats want to prompt a civil war they're really not the kind of people who would fight and do well in a civil war so we'll see how this all shakes out 
You know, and of course we have to mention that the reign of Queen Elizabeth II has ended. Um, you know, 96 years is a pretty good run. I think most people, you know, kind of, if you don't, even if you don't like the monarchy, people personally respected the queen or at least thought that she was doing the, you know, trying to do the right thing. In this upside down world where good is bad and bad is good and nobody knows what to do and everything seems to have lost its compass, uh, she was pretty constant and pretty, uh, um, you know, something you could kind of count on was wasn't going to change with you know whatever whatever the latest focus group said or whatever else it's also it's also just interesting to note that that's one of the last living links to um probably the greatest britain of the last thousand years who was winston churchill um you know she she was queen when he did his second run as prime minister so you know, one of the last links to, to Churchill is, is gone now. Um, you know, my whole thing with the monarchy is I don't really like it as high profile as it is. Now, why on a gun cod podcast are we talking about <laughs> the monarchy? Well, you know, I, I said in an earlier podcast that the only thing that really interests me about them is I bet they've got a hellaciously good gun collection. I mean, what happens? And and here's a case. Queen Elizabeth has just, she just died. So she, obviously, she used to hunt. I mean, I remember she got into trouble because she picked up a, a wounded pheasant or grouse or something and, and broke its neck. And, you know, because that's what hunters do. That's what bird hunters do. That's And, and everybody kind of who's in the know kind of gets that. But, you know, a lot of people aren't. But what's going to happen to all of her firearms, which were probably personalized to her at least for fit and and probably embellishments too probably you know has her crest and all these other things on it what happens to all those i mean i would assume they just kind of are maintained by as property of the family like what does where did her father's guns go because he used to obviously hunt same thing with her grandfather same thing with you know some of the other ones now we know that the odious and stinky little Prince Harry, he sold his guns when he came to, went to Canada, then when he stepped back as a senior royal, he sold all his hunting guns, I guess because that shrew, harpy wife of his didn't like it. So he sold all those for like fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000. So you probably assume that that wasn't, and it probably wasn't a lot of guns. And since it was Britain, there weren't any handguns. So you're probably talking um, some shotguns of different different types with different accessories, and you're probably talking about hunting rifles, you know, stalking rifles, and 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 you know even big game rifles probably. So you're probably talking at the most five or six guns, and you know about ten thousand dollars a piece. Yeah, fifty, sixty thousand. So though those had to be pretty pretty sweet, but that's. But he's no longer really in the royal equation. <clears throat> and and you have to assume that Prince William has guns. And he will be, you know, foreseeably he could be king, you know, at some point in the who knows what future. You know, that's the other thing. You know, poor King Charles is 72. You know, that's, that's he, he's... 
there's no guarantee he's going to make it to 96. He might. I kind of hope he does. But, um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, um, a year from now, you could have King William. You could. And so what happens to all these fancy firearms in the royal family? I mean, I think that would be that would be the most fascinating thing to find out and know. And that's most that's really where my my whole uh, interest in them kind of falls. Other than that, I think you know, hey, they <laughs> it's all about the Benjamins. They even they themselves even call the the monarchy the firm. So it's a money-making enterprise and these guys are born into it. They live these lavish lives of, of just luxury and, and everything else and you know essentially they you know okay they sponsor a few charities and you know they do this or that they cut a few ribbons you know watch a few military parades and all the rest of that nonsense they do all that and and you know it's 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 work I'm sure but um, face it <laughs> they, they they're living they're not living large they're living huge so it's a money-making deal um yeah you know how nice would that be hey we're gonna go and and they got all these friends on the continents too you know not only can they go hunting up in balmoral hey let's go to balmoral and shoot grouse well they can go hog hunting on the continent you know they there's they're born into a society where they can jet set around and hobnob and and all that and why would they want to give that up you know and uh they 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 use the shield of the the goofy looking uniforms and all the rest of that stuff as as a uh you know kind of a way to legitimize that lifestyle so anyway it's a shame though i i just kind of like the queen um you know i <clears throat> one of the things i really liked about the queen was you know she was a mechanic in world war ii she actually you know did something i don't know how much of that she did but you know I mean, she tried. She she knew. She she tried. Uh, she was chipping in. I give her that. I always kind of thought that back in those days, you know, you see the pictures of her. She had that kind of girl next door look, which I thought was, you know, she wasn't overly pretentious. Not certainly not anything that you would ever see today. I mean, you know, she wasn't she wasn't a spoiled little brat. Um, so I I've always kind of admired her and thought that she was a pretty good person. So. Anyway, it's sad to see you're gone. Sad to see that chapter of world history kind of come to a close. Although, you know, I was actually just thinking about a week ago. Wow, I wonder how much longer she's going to last. You know, that's 96. And, uh, you know, hey, it turned out to be a week. But uh, she had a pretty good run, and she was a good person. On my Facebook page, I put a, there's a picture of her shooting a, an SA-80 <laughs> army rifle. And I said, that's awesome. The queen will be missed. When was the last time you saw someone of that stature, you know, looking through a sight and squeezing off a few rounds? So that's another reason I thought the queen the queen was all right. The queen was all right. Uh, now we get to the ugly part of this. The ATF is going berserk, and they've become the American Gestapo under Joseph Robinette Biden, the who is in really he is the fascist he is he is all the evil things he says about other people is what he is and what his his close followers are 
ATF is coming after uh, um, the solvent traps. You know, for I was like two years ago, they were selling these things all over the internet as a solvent trap, you know, in air quotes. And if you drill a hole in the end, um, you know, wow, it's a silencer all of a sudden or suppressor. Um, they, they weren't any good. I mean, they, they didn't really work as near as I can tell. I, I won't touch stuff like that. And we'll get to some more stuff that I just won't touch for for these kind of reasons. Um, but anyway, the ATF has apparently figured out who bought these things because a company can get squeezed hard enough and turn over the records. And they're actually showing up saying, hey, you got one of these things. We, we're here to we're here to check it out, see if you made it into a silencer or, you know, take it away and, and uh, blah, blah, blah. And there's a, there's a YouTube video of a guy just basically giving them the heave-ho, telling them to beat it. And they're, of course, like, well, we'll see you down the road, you know, kind of stuff. Um, yeah, ATF is ugly. That is ugly business. So they're coming after the solvent trap. So if you bought one... Now, you know, here's here's my whole question is, like, there are certain people who have common names, very common names. You know, I knew a guy named John Smith. Literally knew a guy named John Smith. Um, and I've known people with very, very common names. You know, you could be Joe Williams. You know, you could be some, something that's going to be very, very hard to trace. Okay, they're going to say, we sold it to Joe Williams in Dallas, Texas. Well, Joe Williams moved, they go to the address, and he's not there anymore because he moved away, and maybe he's moved since then. So he's, it's going to be hard to trace people who actually have these things. And it's also going to be hard to prove that they still have them and possess them because they don't, they're not showing up with warrants. Uh, the YouTube video, the guy said, hey, you know, you got a warrant? And they said, no. And he says, well, goodbye. You know, uh, essentially, that's what, that's what he said. Um so, you know, they, they could probably trace you if you have a common name, but they might not. They might not. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, how are they going to actually find these things? I don't know. Do they have the manpower? Now, with these solvent traps, I don't know how many were sold. Was it in the hundreds? Was it in the thousands? Who knows? Who knows? Nobody's telling, obviously. But they're obviously the number is small enough, so they think they can track some of these down. Same thing with the forced reset triggers. Apparently, they're coming after those, too. So they went to the companies that made them, obviously, and they've squeezed the uh, names and addresses after them of, of the people who bought them, and they'll come after those because they consider that a machine gun. Now, that has not been settled in court, and there's a lot of technical reasons why that might not work. Same thing with binary triggers. Um, they might not be what the ATF says they are. And be that as it may, the other thing is pistol braces. And of course, pistol braces have been sold now for at least a decade. And so, unlike solvent traps and forced reset triggers, there are probably thousands upon thousands of those pistol braces out there. And apparently, apparently, the the plan is, well, we're going to find out where they are and offer the people who own them an amnesty registration where you pay the 200 bucks, you file the form, and, and there you go. You, you're, you're, quote, legal, quote, unquote, again. Um, 
that would not be an unrealistic solution except the fact that there are still I think it's 19 states maybe it's even more that do not allow any kind of class 3 weapon which includes a short barrel rifle so therefore if you live in I'll just say California because I know that's probably one of them you live in California you have a pistol brace well what do you do you know I don't know um, it's gonna be interesting some guns were sold with pistol braces so how do you track that okay yeah you bought an AR pistol blah 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 well, had a brace with it but do they even know that that brace is connected to that gun that was connected to your purchase I don't know um, I think the genie's out of the bottle on those. I think it's, here's what my prediction is. It's going to get tied up in court. It'll go up in front of the Supreme Court. And either one of two things will happen. The ATF will just drop, the ATF will drop it before it gets far into the court system because they will be afraid that if it goes to the Supreme Court or even, even the uh, Circuit Court of Appeals or something, by the time it gets out of up there, they could get it shoved down their throat saying, not only are pistol braces legal because you said they were for 10 years, you said these were okay. Then you're making an ex post facto regulation, which is a de facto law that says they're not okay. And then they're going to say, you know what? And if those are legal, so are short barreled rifles. So you don't regulate those anymore. So they could lose, they could lose a lot by basically trying to force this issue uh, the, the bottom line is I'm sorry it's out of the, <laughs> the genie's out of the bottle man and uh, pistol braces are not going away uh, but I've never I've never messed with one uh, simply because of this I, I just figured it's just too they're too mercurial um, they can decide it's legal one day and it's not legal the next remember they went through some rigmarole where you can have the pistol brace, but you can't shoulder it. You know, it's, it's ludicrous. Uh, dealing with that kind of ATFism is ludicrous. So we have uh, um, dealing with all these idiotic laws and all these idiotic regulations that fundamentally idiots are, are in charge of. And it appears that like the FBI, like the Justice Department, like the IRS, that their policy is predicated upon who's in office and not a consistent governmental policy and that my friends is third worldish you know you're living in Panama or some other place where Cuba wherever it is where the ruling people say what the law is and then when those rulers are kicked out the next group that comes in they get to say what the law is that is not what our country was founded on. We were founded on, we had, a, we had set laws, we knew what they meant, and if there was a question, it went through the court system. And it's just not something that uh, uh, alphabet agencies can make up as they go along. And all of this is, is gonna come to a head because ATF's not the only people doing it. The EPA does it. You know, hey, if you have a drainage ditch on your your land, they can claim that to be a federal waterway, and then there's all kinds of things you can't do. Uh, they can they can claim you know they can <laughs> they can claim a dry field. They can call it a wetland. You know, there's all this psycho government overreach 
that's out there that has to stop. One of my favorite stories was there was a, a place, I think it was in Monterey, California, where a guy had an older home. You know, it was, it was a home from probably the early 1900s. And so, you know, there were, of course, trees in the, he had a yard and he had trees in it. Well, one of the trees had grown so large that its roots were damaging the foundation to the point where the structural integrity of the house was being compromised. So, you know, realistically, he said, look, if, if it's a choice between the house or the tree, I'd like to cut down the tree, you know, plant something else, and then I can repair my foundation and, you know, life goes on. Well, unfortunately, they basically said, no, we're sorry, we have an ordinance which protects trees. We have a law that protects trees. So you can't cut down that tree. Sorry, we don't care what it's doing. You cannot cut it down. So he, he kind of looked and he said, okay, great. Um, I'm just, what I'll do then is I'll just tear down the house and then I'll rebuild on a you know slightly different part of my lot so that the tree doesn't you know it's not going to grow that much more so I can I can build I have enough room I can build another uh, build another home and you know it, this won't be a problem and they said well can't do that because your house is so old it is now a historical landmark so they put this guy in the trip of the tree's destroying his house he can't he can't tear down the tree can't can't cut down the tree and he can't tear down the house because the house is a historical landmark he can't tear down the house but the tree can destroy it and, and you know it's it's crazy how do you deal with a bureaucracy like that that's the kind of bureaucracy we're going to be dealing with um, ATF EPA IRS, all these people, you know, it's it's this horrid bureaucratic overreach. And he go, yeah, if you had to tr had to come up with a term for that, what would it be? I think the term would be deep state, because these people are kind of in cahoots. They're power mongers. Nobody, they're behind the scenes. Nobody elected them, and yet they are gathering power like that's that's incredible so that's be my term for it deep state so beware the deep state is doing weird things and uh, you know the only ray of sunshine I can say is if we're fighting the battle over bump stocks pistol braces forced reset triggers we're playing near the end zone on their end of the field okay we're not talking about the things that they usually want to hassle us about so you know there we are we're actually we've actually advanced the ball enough so that they're having to play defense and we're down at their their end of the field and if they fumble we could recover in their end zone and I mean that by getting a favorable court ruling so that's that's the interesting part of all that. Uh, one other thing in guns that uh, I've had is I've seen one, and I haven't had an opportunity to shoot one. I might have to buy one to shoot it if I wanted to. But um, Palmetto State Armory PSA 
really good company makes good you know they make good ARs they make they make a lot of good stuff um, you know they make something now called a uh, dagger pistol and the dagger pistol is a Glock 19 okay now the you say well big deal you know a couple other companies are making Glock clones well apparently this one is so close to a Glock that it will take Glock aftermarket parts you know so there you go the other thing is it costs what a Glock should cost which is about 300 bucks so if if you want a Glock pistol it's much better to check out these PSA daggers because this if you want a Glock 19 I should say the PSA dagger is the gun to to go after because if you if you there's something about it you don't like you could just replace it with a Glock part and it's priced so that this can be rather than being a five or you know five and a half six to six and a half uh, price tag uh, you're paying 300 bucks so you know if you drag this thing around and it gets scraped up and all that you know really who cares that's one of those guns that you know you're buying to use you're not buying to, to keep forever but the nice part the big attraction is uh, you can upgrade it with Glock aftermarket parts if if should you so desire should you find it wanting in any way and uh, the Glock 19 is a pretty hot commodity nice gun our friend of the podcast has one uh, I fired it. I do not fire Glocks well. Glock would never hire me to be one of their advertising, you know, one of the one of the guys to go out and impress the uh, distributors with my skill with a Glock because for some reason I just don't have it. I don't shoot a Glock very well. But, um, you know, for close, if, if I were to buy one, which I wouldn't because I'm, I'm more of a traditionalist, but, um, you know, for close range defense, and carjacking's a big deal now. So this is a good gun that you can, you know, I don't say keep in your car because that's a bad idea, but if you've got it on you and you're in your car and somebody tries to jack you, uh, that's a very good weapon to have because that's going to be a very close range, almost probably a contact distance type of fight. So um, that's, a good, that's a good gun to have for something like that. Um, you know, I would I would say that that's a very very good deal, and they actually even uh, PSA actually even does um, combos where you buy a rifle pistol combo, get one of their ARs and a dagger pistol, and you know you save some money on the package. That's a really good deal too. I mean, in this day and age, what have what have I told people to do? Go out and buy a 5.56 AR and a nine millimeter pistol. Just without thinking about it without mulling it over without trying to get the optimal anything go do that and these guys are the perfect fit for that the perfect fit so everybody who I know is looking for you know defensive weapons I say go out and buy that combo right now you know you can, you can get which and, and I mean they have it's not just one AR with the dagger pistol um, they, they have different ARs and, and you can match match up whichever one you want and the dagger pistol comes you can get it in OD green you can get it in black you can get it in gray and I think you can get it in flat dark earth so you're all totally cool with it um, so it'll, it'll color coordinate with whatever stuff you're wearing um, you know not doing that is a mistake at this point 
and I would do it within the next month. I would buy one of those. Because at a certain point, PSA is going to wise up, and they're going to start selling the dagger for, you know, for, once it becomes popular, they're going to sell it for 450 bucks, man. You know it. So get the $300 one now, which is what you need, and get the, uh, get the AR, and get whatever configuration you want, and, uh, and you're easing on down the road. I mean, you're easing on down the road. If there's ammo that you can get right now and everybody has it, it's nine millimeter nine millimeter ball, but it's nine millimeter and five five six. Everybody's got it. And they've got it in quantity. So um, I'd go grab it grab it you know, ideally you grab one of those combo packages and you grab a case of ammo for each. And even if you don't do too even if you don't do anything except dry fire, um, you know you're you're kind of in a good position so anyway that's my that's my deal PSA dagger uh, if you think you might need one now is the time to grab one okay that brings me to the my favorite part of this podcast which is questions and answers so the first question is you are a fan of retro ARs but what is it you do not like about retro ARs you know, I think I had this question once before, but I'll go over it again. It may not have been exactly the same, so uh, I will go over it uh, very quickly. What I don't like about it is um, I I don't like the just starting from one end. I don't care for the birdcage flash suppressor. I think the, actually the um, the two earlier versions of the three prong and then the uh, duckbill were actually better. Because they they actually had uh, mass right underneath, so when you're shooting prone, it doesn't blow up the dirt like the birdcage could. Um, the A2 has actually got the slots on the bottom filled in, so um, you know it it doesn't blow up dirt. So anyway, I don't really care for the birdcage flash suppressor. Um, I don't really like the old the the um, how do I say this? It's kind of that smooth triangular shape front sight. You know, it's kind of blended and kind of goes up to the, as it becomes a post. I kind of like the one that's a little more defined. I like the square front sight post as opposed to the uh, round one. I'll say that just because of the way the light, just because the way light works, um, that's better. Um, if I were building a retro AR today, I would not use a 1 in 12 barrel. I would probably use one of the, I think Faxon makes them, or has made them. Um, the 1 in 7 that's got the pencil profile. Because, like, who's really going to know? And it gives you the ability to shoot all the ammo in it. Um, yes, it's not. There's so many guys, and it's like Mr. Moron, who's like, well, that's not the way they were built back in the 60s. You know, okay, it's not a hundred percent authentic but who's going to measure the rifling of your barrel the only tangible difference is is that with a one in 12 inch barrel you can use 55 grain and with a one in seven you can use everything that's the only difference anybody's ever going to see so i would i would use a one in seven uh but again all i really use is 55 so i don't really care but anyway that's how that goes uh, I do not like the uh, black silent sling that's been on them for 
since the late 1960s. Um, I just don't care for it. It's cheap. It's cheesy. Um, it's functional enough, but just don't really care for it. Uh, other than that, I don't really have uh, a whole lot of other objections. I, I think the... Um, I do like the knobs on the rear side of the A2, the uh, especially a the windage knob, would be a really nice thing to have as opposed to that little wheel that you have to push the detent in. Um, yeah, a knob would be would have been nicer. Uh, doo -doo 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 -doo. On the early ones, the early triangular charging handle is a little more difficult to use. Not a big deal, but it is. I actually still think the uh, the trigger is the the trigger charging handle is the coolest one. And other than that, um, you know, don't really have any uh, objections to the to the rest of it. So those are the things, right there. All right, next question: Are snub nose revolvers really good for self defense CCW, or are they just or do they just look cool and people use them for the cool factor? I would say yes and yes. <laughs> People do use them for the cool factor, but they are very effective for close range. They're really nice handling, nice guns. Uh, my only kind of objection to them is that at ranges, say, over 10, 12 yards, they, they are dip more difficult to uh, to hit. And I mean, uh, you know, the difference between a 4-inch and a 2-inch is usually, for myself and my shooting, I can notice big performance leap um, in accuracy between those two so that's what I would say is the uh, the difference there so I really that's what I really like um, but I do like the, the compactness and a lot a lot of the things about it I really do like so go from there uh, let's see what level of mil of weapons expertise do military people and vet slash veterans really have? Well, you know that that's kind of a thing. Uh, it's like whenever we see a Vietnam veteran, we always assume that frontline infantry guy traipsing through the jungle, when in fact it could have been a medic at a at a hospital, or it could have been a uh, um, you know helicopter mechanic on a large base you know we just we always kind of assume things when we hear military when we hear military and veteran we always kind of assume infantry or combat arms use of use of arms as a a primary a primary function and that's simply not true we have intel people we have logistics people and everything else so it's pretty much a mixed bag um, what I have found Generally, and this is generally speaking, because you will find people who don't know anything, even though they were a veteran, they're they're hapless with weapons. But for the most part, you will find that people have a reasonably good familiarity with rifles and pistols, that they understand how they function, and that they understand the basic fundamentals of marksmanship. You know, you can you can assume that right away. Now, guys who are you know obviously people who went to sniper schools and other things like that are going to be very different and people who are in uh, special forces or some other special operations um, units might be much much more proficient but you know you can usually assume that that the person has 
you know, a fundamental grasp of the safe operation of a firearm and the the concept of immediate action and and is not afraid of them the way some civilians are. So that's what you can naturally assume. Um, yeah, that's about the biggest thing I would say is that it's it's a mixed bag and, and you know and those skills are all perishable. So there are guys who you know they were God's gift to the marksmanship world back in the 80s when they were in the core, you know. However, they don't shoot anything for 30 years and you know the guy is going to be basically a neophyte again. He'll some of it'll come back and it may come back fairly quickly, but um you know that's kind of the way that that's going to work. Another thing you will find is you will find prejudice against certain weapons. Obviously the M16 people who serve say 1960 to 1980 or 1990 are going to tell you what a piece of shit it is you know they're just going to talk about how horrible the M16 was uh, people who served from say 1980 to onward uh, might tell you how crummy the Beretta is just just might um, it's really funny that the Vietnam era guys will tell you how great the AK-47 is and a lot of the uh, global war on terror veterans will tell you, no, I'd rather, much rather have an M4 than an AK. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's you're gonna get a mixed bag of stuff, but at least you'll probably probably will get an opinion though. All right, did you know James Yeager passed? Yes, I, I saw uh, a couple of postings on that. You know, and I I never cared for James Yeager. I don't never met him never knew him would not have taken a class from his uh, his deal um, I don't think he was a bad person he made a kind of a fool out of himself it was during the Obama time maybe it was after Sandy Hook or, or one of those one of those horrible things and you know and be all that as it may I mean I don't think he was an ill-intentioned he certainly was not an evil person he'd been a chief of police in a small town. He'd been an officer, a chief of police, had his own business, um, had some sort of a goofy thing in Iraq where he worked as a security contractor, which is always a sketchy, <laughs> sketchy deal. But I mean, I think he tried to train people, whether I personally agree with the methods and the other things that he was doing, doesn't really matter. But um, yeah, it's, it's a shame. It's, well, it's a shame that um, you know, ALS and some of these diseases can really just strike you. And I, I just, uh, you know, somebody who can be in the prime of their life um, can be struck down. And that's one, one of the reasons I believe in self-defense and CCW and constitutional carry is because, you know, there's all kinds of things that can just strike you down um, out there. there. There are bad people out there. Just look at the spate of carjackings. Now, I avoid any kind of area where carjackings can happen, but, you know, it doesn't mean I'm immune. It doesn't mean anybody's immune. So, um, you know, it's just one of those things. We, we have to believe in self-defense and go for it. And, you know, people who are training and trying to, trying to make that better are good people. So, it is a shame and, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if his company continues or if it uh, gets absorbed or if it just uh, 
goes away. Oh, what shooting courses do you recommend? I don't recommend any because I have no idea what a person's level of expertise is or what they're looking for or anything else. I don't think there is a cookie cutter approach like there was in the old days when, hey, there was Gunsight. And so you went to Gunsight or you didn't go anywhere. And uh, to go to Gunsight, you had to take their 101 class and their 102 class and their 103 class. I mean, and that was that was kind of the game. And a lot of these other shooting, uh, you know, the permanent fixture shooting places, taking the same thing. They kind of, they make it this kind of curriculum you go through. I, I suppose they have to organize their material some way, but... Um, that seems a little I don't know I don't really dig that then there are the you know traveling guys who show up and for three or four days you know they'll use a local range and they'll do training I'm you know I don't know again you know where are you and how does that fit in with the plan of where you want to be if assuming of course you have a plan of where you want to be um, it always seems like to, to, to be very blunt that you do one thing it's never like you're just going to take a course and hey that's it it's it's an introduction to the whole curricula of courses so between the time you start and the time you end your expenditure in the tuition and ammunition and travel and all that could be quite significant in fact it could just dwarf the uh, cost of your uh, equipment and ammunition so anyway uh, what I normally tell people to do and this is this kind of a terrible thing but if you know nothing about firearms you know nothing and there are a few people like that there are some very basic firearms courses that tell you how the gun functions and may even you know have a little bit of shooting at the end a lot of CCW courses are kind of kind of that way without the with the you know CCW stuff thrown in there are a lot of basic handgun courses you can take that will show you how they work how to safely load and unload and, and clear a malfunction you know that all that kind of stuff is really good the differences in different kind of guns and calibers and you know that stuff is a really good basis to start with the next thing is then taking a a very basic shooting course learning the fundamentals of marksmanship and friend of the podcast and I have talked this over and you know that was one of the reasons we were doing some bullseye shooting and and all that the the fundamentals you can't build anything unless you have some good fundamentals so I always thought that that was the you know the best way to go do some if you can do some competitive shooting in a very supervised environment then you you know you get more familiar with your weapon the, the the key is the first phase is getting educated and familiarized on your weapon the next stage is how can I use this and you know some very basic uh, competitive disciplines are good for that and then you can graduate into the more advanced ones you know three gun or IPSC and, and the rest of them you can do all that and then the third the third thing is really getting into some of this advanced kind of stuff and that's always a very tricky 
tricky place because a lot of guys with big military resumes or police resumes are just going to be teaching you competitive shooting techniques. So, you know, it's, it's buyer beware out there. Um, but you have to take it in stages. It's, it does no good to try to get this advanced, super cool Navy SEAL, you know, five fingers of death uh, um, training if you, you know, if you don't have the fundamentals to build it on. And I would even say that, you know, the better, the better thing to do is always work on fundamentals. You know, that's basic, basic in any sport is strong fundamentals means you'll have a good performance. So uh, that's what I would do. Now, as far as individual ones, the, the one that I was reading about recently, uh, which actually impressed me, was a place called Valor Ridge. I've never been there and I've never taken a class. I've just read about it. It appears that the uh, the guy actually I think he used to work for James Jaeger, so um, take that for what it's worth. But it appears that the philosophy is don't go whole hog on fancy guns and gear. Buy a good solid gun and practice with it. Like you don't need the super geisley triggers. You don't need all this this high speed you know money pit stuff that these guns can turn into. What you really need is a good solid AR with a military trigger and then practice. So when I read that, I was impressed because that's that's fundamentally what I believe too. Um, you know, that's just a good a good way to be at the at the very beginning is, you know, that is excellent. More practice, you will get used to the trigger, and it's good to get used to a military AR trigger because um, and really, military is the wrong word. Actually, it's just the 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 basic design AR trigger. It's good to get used to that because that means you can transition into a whole lot of different ARs because not all because most of them have that same trigger system. So you're good. It's the single stage, a uh, little bit heavy, but but uh, breaks crisp. Um, good trigger. You know, you can you can do really good work with that. So. Um, he, that appears to be their philosophy. Uh, I do not know about any of the other stuff that they do. So uh, buyer beware again. But I think that is an outstanding um, place to uh, to learn. But, you know, you, you have to show up to these places being a competent and safe shooter. That's what you, that's what has to, those are the fundamentals that, that absolutely have to be there. And then, of course, good marksmanship fundamentals will will help also all right next one what advantages do lead bullets have over jacketed ones well when we're talking about pistols um, lead bullets are far cheaper they do not wear the bore the lead is so soft that you can fire thousands of lead bullets through a bore and not put any wear on it because the steel is so much harder so that's a really cool thing. That's really cool. Um, they do tend to the the debit of them is they will let a bore if you drive them fast enough, but they will also mushroom and perform very well. Uh, so that you know, lead bullets are a really good thing in handguns. In rifles, there are certain rifles that can only really use lead bullets, like trapdoor Springfields. Yes, there are trapdoor safe loads that have jacketed bullets, but don't use those they will wear the bore 
um, use a lead bullet. So all the traditional 19th century type guns uh, use lead bullets. You can use them in a lot of other guns also, especially military rifles, like bolt action military rifles that, you know, when they were produced, yeah, it's supposed to have a 311 bore, but gee, this one's got a 313 bore or a 310 bore. Um, you, you can basically um, match the bullet to the bore, you individual bore measurement that you have. So that's a really good, awesome thing um, to do also. And you can get some good accuracy out of a, you know, gun and cartridge that are just, uh, who knows. Uh, I have that. I've got a 7mm Spanish Mauser rolling block that looks like it was left at the bottom of a lake or something. It's The bore is excellent. The, the internals are excellent. But the outside, you know, patina. Well, if you saw the pictures of the USS Texas up in dry dock and you saw the part that was underwater and, and, and how brown it was and everything, that's the patina I've got. So for this this particular gun, the um, the notional um, what is it 284? Yeah, whatever it is, um, works. The bullet wor seven millimeter cast bullet works. Does I don't have to go larger or smaller, and I just put it behind a uh, you know a recommended charge powder uh, for a cast bullet, and lo and behold, shoots pretty well. Um, it's nothing that's gonna wow anybody but you know at least I've got the old the old uh, thing shooting again and that's that's always a good thing so it's also they're also very good to bring an older gun back something that had been on a mantelpiece or something that hadn't been fired in you know a long long time or maybe in some weird oddball caliber it's a good way to bring them back into shooting is uh, with a lead bullet okay here's our last question uh, what rifle projects do you currently have that you're you're currently doing? Well, I'm getting ready to go on hold because for like the next two months I'm going to have a very hectic work schedule. But uh, I do have some bullets um, that I did cast for a 1889 vintage Winchester 73. Uh, they're 314. They're supposed to be. It's a 3220, so it should really be a 312. But 312 bullets don't work very well in it, so it's got a it's got a war, uh, you know larger bore. It's, it's not really the wear. It's just I think, you know, it was just it was just made that way. So uh, I've got those, and I'm gonna load those with black powder, and uh, um, you know, use my homemade uh, olive oil and beeswax lube, and you know, get that get that thing going again. Um, my only concern is these are these are not round nose bullets, so how they're going to feed, they should be okay, but we'll see. We'll see how it works out. Even if I wind up single loading them, um, it's a whole lot better than uh, than not using anything. And you cannot use for any kind of factory um, 3220 ammunition in this um, because normally the bullets will be too small. Even if it's black powder loaded and the bullets are too small, they're just too small. So if this bullet does not work out, I'm probably back to square one. But I think uh, this bullet is kind of a semi-wad cutter design. It should it should feed okay. So if not, then I'm going to have to have the mold maybe modified. Have it. There are people who can do this. They can drill out 
um, the mold a little bit and maybe give it a, a round nose profile make it slightly heavier we'll see how that goes we'll just see how that goes but that's what I have um, that's what I currently have under under development um, also doing some more stuff with 38 Smith and Wesson um, and that's kind of that's kind of still nascent uh, I might I was using powder coated bullets in that but and they worked but there's some other problems that have cropped up when I use actual 38 Smith and Wesson brass as opposed to the cut down 38 special brass so I'm not quite as smart as I thought I was but the other is a good solution it's uh, the other is still a good solution so we'll see how this all all shakes out but it'll be uh, it'll be interesting I may have to use a just a slightly the 358 bullet I might have to use that instead of the uh, uh, powder coated 361 bullet we'll see anyway that's it for this edition of old school guns the podcast that tells you exactly like it is and again if you have any questions or comments please give them to me at kbmakel at aol.com or leave them in the comments section on podbean but until next time this is old school guns out